Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. This is a special episode of Rewind Replay where we take earlier episodes in this podcast that are either favorites of mine or favorites of listeners and replay them since our audience today is tenfold bigger than it was in the first few months that this podcast ran. And so this will give new listeners a chance to hear old episodes that uh, that I think are meaningful and are important to the discussion. And so now on to our Rewind Replay, Episode 1 of Part 4, The Doctrine of Christ. Today what I thought we'd talk about is the Doctrine of Christ. And this has always been kind of something that's really taken a hold of my heart. And I don't know how to really explain it other than maybe give you a little bit of background. I used to think, and I explained this in the first episode, I used to think that the way we got to heaven was to simply just work our way there that we could just do enough good works and get ourselves into the celestial kingdom. And then I realized at some point that I could never really do all I was supposed to do. And I would get quite depressed. And I even said to myself at one point that I'm not going to make it. Now, I'll stay active in the church, and I'll help others get there, but I'm not going to cut it. I don't know how I'm going to get back to Heavenly Father. And so I don't know what what prompted it, but in order to kind of change my direction, I began... Uh, making up, um, I had an MP3 player and I wanted to get a bunch of MP3 files to put on that MP3 player so I could listen to it on the way back and forth to work and doing other things to help inspire me to maybe lift me up and to help me kind of re- reinvigorate my spiritual life. And so in doing that, I went to uh, a site called BYU Speeches, which is ran by uh, BYU Un- University. Um, they also had a site called BYU Broadcast. And so I was on there finding lots of different uh, talks and things to listen to. And one of them that I came across was a talk called His Grace is Sufficient by Brad Wilcox. And that talk inspired me like great, I can't, it's just like a, like a light bulb went on within me 
and it helped me to see the gospel a completely different way. And so seeing that, I opened up my scriptures, and I started looking up everything I could on the doctrine of Christ. And I also went and found every other talk I could find. And so Robert Millett and Gerald Lund, Bruce R. McConkie, um, there are lots of great talks in the church by these men here I listed, among others, who give wonderful descriptions and explanations and insight into the doctrine of Christ. And so maybe we can begin today by talking about the law. And so this is kind of how I'd like to start. I'll just share with you some of my thoughts on what the law is and what it's set up to do and what it's set up not to do and go from there. So we say in speaking of Christ that he fulfilled the law, but do we ever consider what that means? In part, it obviously means he kept the law of Moses, every jot and tittle. He was perfect. Well, why is that such a big deal? You see, each of us must be justified in order to be resurrected, to enter into the presence, to enter back into the presence of our Father in heaven, and to be judged. But you see, to be justified is to be pardoned or found not guilty of our actions. One of the ways we become justified is to simply be perfect. Now, the Ten Commandments were directly given from God to Moses, though there are approximately, I think if I remember, about 612 laws in the Mosaic Law. And God's directions were pretty simple. He told us, keep the entire Mosaic Law perfectly, and we can enter back into his presence. Now, you see, at face value, that sounds simple enough. Yet the moment we step into applying this test, we see failure is inevitable. It's going to happen. Even if we're only asked to keep the Ten Commandments that Moses got on Mount Sinai, this endeavor would still be impossible. You see, the scriptures teach us that there is none righteous, no, not one. We also have to be careful that we aren't trying to earn our way to heaven by our works, that we're not trying to use our works as a method to get back to the Father, to use them as having merit. The scriptures say that if we're leaning on the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments to save us, then we will find ourselves on the wrong side of the judgment. This applies today as well. In fact, Elder Bruce R. McConkie stated, he said, Salvation is not in works, not even in those revealed of God, but in Christ and his atonement. So if we're hoping that being a good home teacher or a visiting teacher or a full tithe payer is going to make us celestial, then we're off course. If we take pride in being almost perfect, we're missing the point. If we look at others and measure our righteousness against theirs, again, we're missing the point. Your righteousness is required, but not as merits toward your redemption. If getting back to Heavenly Father is based on keeping commandments exclusively for the purpose of keeping commandments, one must ask, why did God give us commandments and laws knowing that we would inevitably fail at keeping them perfectly? He could have just given us a simple law. Maybe he could have told us to pray just once a day. Or maybe just pray once a month. Or maybe just attend church twice a year. If so, agency would still be in place, and many more of God's children would make it back in the law alone. Consider for a moment that Heavenly Father does not expect us to be perfect in the law. That indeed he made the law impossible on purpose. In fact, think of this. Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 5 tells us that the law was created in part so that we may know good from evil. And that if our focus is on keeping the law or rules, then we shall be miserable and cut off. The law was given for a second reason as well. It was created to be impossible so that we might 
redirect our focus on where salvation is really found. We are supposed to fall short. Not only do we each fall short, but we are to take notice of it. We are to recognize the great gulf that stands between us and the glory that awaits us. Only by seeing how short we fall, according to the law, are we then willing to turn ourselves towards the Savior and look to Him. I believe the law is designed by nature to help us see our weaknesses so that we might be humble. You may think of this at this point about Second Nephi chapter 25-23, which says that we're saved by grace after all we can do. And then the second article of faith, right? says that salvation is by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And that contradicts exactly what I've said up to this point. But perhaps we've misused these scriptures at times. We must be careful here. The great prophet Abinadi stated, Salvation doth not come by the law alone. And were it not for the atonement, which God himself shall make for the sins and iniquities of his people, that they may unavoidably perish, notwithstanding the law of Moses. Do you see that? The law itself requires us to be perfect. And yet each of us falls short. And the question would be is why is that? Why is it designed to set us up that way? So then the next thing we have to talk about are the laws of the gospel. And they differ from the law of Moses. I think we'll see that as we kind of go into this. So while prophets warn us of trying to earn salvation by keeping the laws and the commandments perfectly, we certainly should try to choose the right and set these standards as a goal. Once we see that we cannot be saved by the law, we then need to point ourselves back towards Christ and ask Him and the Father what it is that saves us. Once we realize that what saves us is Christ's atonement and are utilizing it by uniting with Christ and trying with all our might, mind, and strength to become like Him. The third article of faith says, Through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. One might pick out the word obedient out of the statement and begin to dwell too heavily on it. It is not obedience for the sake of obedience. It is obedience to the law and ordinances of the, laws and ordinances of the gospel. Second, it is through the atonement of Christ that we are saved. Through implies that it is the vehicle or mode by which we get from trying to keep the laws and ordinances of the gospel to exaltation with our Heavenly Father. The atonement provides the verb or action in the process. So what are these laws and ordinances we need to obey? The answer is found in the very next article of faith, which says, The first principles and ordinances of the gospel are, first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion, fourth, a laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. While the word laws is exchanged for principles, it is indeed these principles and ordinances that lead us to the atonement and our salvation. Remember, these are the first principles and ordinances. In fact, the beginning words of the fourth article of faith were changed in the mid-1800s after the Lord revealed other saving ordinances. In fact, the, word, the original wording of the fourth, fourth article of faith said, We believe that these are, first, faith in Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, and then so on. And so when we go back to recognizing the change in the wording, we come to the conclusion that when this was first written, it was absolutely obvious that article of faith three and article of faith number four were back-to-back and went together. They were made to go together. The these are 
refers to the third article of faith's principles and ordinances. If you read the original wording, this becomes obvious. You can go on Google and do a Google search and look for the original articles of faith. When you find them, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, other saving ordinances, such as the endowment and the sealing, would be included in the things that we need to be obedient to in order to access the atonement. In fact, it's kind of interesting. If you were to open up your Book of Mormon and look at Second Nephi chapter 31, you will see that the whole chapter is on the doctrine of Christ. He starts off by talking about faith, and then repentance, then baptism, and then the Holy Ghost. And then when he gets to the end, this is what he says. He says, And now, my beloved brethren, after you've gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for you have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. And now, behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven, whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. And so we see that Nephi here points out this doctrine of Christ. And so one would ask, if this is the doctrine of Christ, where do temple ordinances come in? Now something must have happened to Nephi in between chapter 31 and chapter 32. Now keep in mind, when the Book of Mormon was first published, there weren't, uh, when it was first translated, there weren't chapters but it is neat that the church, or Joseph and some of the other early leaders of the church, decided to split this section up, that they made the split between chapter 31 and chapter 32. And it's kind of cool, because you can tell as we get into this next thought, that even when Nephi is writing, there is a break in his writing between 31 and 32. And here's why I say that. When we turn to chapter 32, and he starts off talking about how we can understand whether he's talking about the doctrine of Christ or not. And it gets interesting. When he gets to um, verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6, now listen to this, in verse 5, he says, For behold, again I say unto you that if you enter into the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all the things what ye should do. Then he says this, and this is the catcher in verse 6, Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And there will be no more doctrine given until he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you, ye shall observe to do. And so Nephi, in verse 31, says, here's the doctrine of Christ, and that's all of it. And then he gets to 32, and he says, wait a minute. There's going to be more doctrine of Christ after the Savior manifests himself in the flesh. And so what are the, what is this extra added stuff in the doctrine of Christ? It's the temple ordinances, of course. And so then we can recognize that why, when temple ordinances were revealed, that the church leaders had to go back and change the 13 articles of faith to the wording that they did. Because we believe that these are first, you know, these are the first principles and ordinances. It just makes sense when we start to see it all coming together. So, again, what are the principles and ordinances of the gospel? They are faith. Repentance, receiving saving ordinances, such as baptism, confirmation or receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, 
and then the temple ordinances. And I would add here as it becomes plain that the final unmentioned step of enduring to the end. We saw in Second Nephi chapter 31 that one needs to press forward with steadfastness. That's the enduring to the end. If we can truly get this process down herein, we are told is salvation through the atonement. We may think that family history is a pure doctrine of Christ or part of it, or that tithing or the word of wisdom is included in the pure doctrine of Christ, but it is not. In fact, Elder Bruce R. McConkie said that the word of wisdom is an appendage to the gospel and is not the gospel itself. That home teaching is truly a part of the doc- pure doctrine of Christ, but again, it is not either. These, in and of themselves, are just more rules and commandments and laws designed to assist us in becoming more like the Son of God and to help us serve others in the same cause. The true and only doctrine of Christ, according to Nephi here, is to enter the straight and narrow path, faith, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost, and then endure to the end, pressing forward with steadfastness. To see this from another angle, we might ask, can a Buddhist make it back to the celestial kingdom without ever having paid tithing in this life or the next? Can a Hindu get back to Heavenly Father without doing home teaching or visiting teaching in this life or the next? Can an evangelical Christian get back to Heavenly Father without having done their four-generation chart? To all these questions is a resounding yes. They will be unable to get back, though, if at some point in this life or the next they do not exercise faith, repent of their sins, receive and accept saving ordinances, and endure to the end. Sanctified or spiritually changed at some point along the way, eventually becoming truly perfect. That is the pure doctrine of Christ, and this is how it is defined as the necessary steps for God's children to become like him so that they might enter back into his presence. All will have to do this in this life or the next and be obedient to these principles and ordinances. I would remind us in the church that this is not reason to disregard the other principles like tithing or family history, that to truly be like God and his son, we must try to keep all that he has given us to do. There is some confusion at this point, because on one hand we are saying works do not save us, and yet we are saying that they are at least in regards to some essential or necessary for our exaltation. We have to be crystal clear here. Works are essential. They are a part of the saving process because it is through these works that we stretch ourselves and we progress. But in no way, shape, or form do these works have merit towards our salvation. Remember, we're to rely wholly upon Christ and upon his merits. The difference is monumental when you clearly understand the pure doctrine of Christ. There are two ways to present the gospel. One is that we teach people that outward expressions of their faith is what counts in Heavenly Father's eyes. Keep the commandments. Be a 100% home and visiting teacher. Receive all the ordinances. Go to your meetings. Pay a full tithe. Keep the word of wisdom. Magnify your callings. Serve a mission. Pray three times a day by yourself. Pray three more times a day with your family. Pray two more times over meals. Make sure you have family councils. Make sure you have this. Make sure you have that. Go here. Go there. You see, then if you do all this, you will have been considered faithful and upon death enter back into the presence of Heavenly Father, having done all that is required of you. That sounds great on the surface, except it fails for two reasons. Number one, the majority of good faithful members of the church will notice that they fall short of this work's righteousness, and they will see the self-imposed bar of perfection as impossible. They will become discouraged and lose hope. The second problem is that any member who feels that they have achieved this perfection of works may still find themselves having fallen short 
of what it is that God is really asking for. While God does give us rules and laws and commandments and assignments and stewardships, etc., what he really wants us to look to, what he really wants is us to look to Christ and to become like him. He wants us spiritually changed. He wants us perfect. Let's turn to Helaman chapter 3, verse 35. It says, Nevertheless, they did fast and pray oft, and did wax stronger and stronger in their humility, and firmer and firmer in the faith of Christ, under the filling of their souls with joy and consolation, yea, even to the purifying and sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. This mighty change we seek comes from bending our will to the will of the Father. It comes from yielding our heart to Him. It comes from His gift of grace being given to us, enabling us to do way more than we could do on our own, including becoming like Christ and becoming perfect. It is an inward change that will reflect itself in outward action. And not only that, but also an outward expression. One who has had this spiritual change will undoubtedly move forward in this progression, continually adapting his life to what God requires of us. There is no moment in time in this life when we have to have all this this stuff down perfectly or we failed. We must see the plan of redemption as a process. This refiner's fire is going to take time. There will be times we fall down and we mess up. But we must press forward with steadfastness until some future day when we shall be perfect. We must push forward every day. We must keep getting up and dusting ourselves off and rolling up our sleeves and getting back at it. We must keep trying. We must see the things he requires of us as an opportunity to become more like him. He gives us things to do to help help in our change to be like him. So while God requires faith and repentance and saving ordinances, they are not required as a means to an end with the end being salvation. The yielding of our hearts to him is the means to salvation, with works of righteousness being the obvious expression of that inward change. How much do you love him? How much faith will you have in him? How much will you trust in him? We will continue to be steadfast the further we press forward. Will we? Will we do that? He also uses works to place us in situations where we can learn and grow spiritually. Doesn't getting baptized help us spiritually because of the experience? Doesn't the effort of going to the temple help us to learn and grow spiritually? Doesn't going out and serving our neighbor help us grow and learn spiritually? You see, God gives us things to do to also give us experience. And it also measures that progress that we're making. We will go into each of these in more depth, but we must at this juncture see the importance on getting on this path joining in the yoke with Christ. This is more than just going to church. It is more than agreeing to join the church because of some friend in school or maybe even some pretty girl. It is more than staying active because of family pressure or risk of letting others down. We have now seen that we can't get back to our Heavenly Father through our own actions. So now it is time to team up with Him who is mighty to save. This inner progression is not a one-time thing. Your faith will be required every day. Your time spent repenting will need to be a regular occurrence. The attitude of repentance will need to be constant feeling within you. You will daily need to come to terms with the realization of just how imperfect you are and how short you fall. The ordinances of the gospel are also lifelong pursuits. While you are baptized only once, you will be renewing that covenant each week as you partake of the sacrament. 
In essence, you will be rebaptized each week in your inner commitment to once again try to keep the commandments and to take his name upon you, and he will again promise his spirit to be with you as you try. While only confirmed once, the spirit will leave you if you do not make a constant effort to be clean and repent as needed to have his constant companionship. While we go to the temple once to receive ordinances for ourselves, we go back over and over again to receive these ordinances for others. The final step, enduring to the end, is just as it says. It is to endure all that life throws at you, remaining strong in your faith, continually going through the refinement process, becoming more and more like Christ, progressing toward perfection. That will do it for another episode of Mormon Discussion. Next week, we will talk about humility and weakness, which is one of my favorite parts of this whole doctrine of Christ. And so I hope you're looking forward to it. I hope you were uplifted and enlightened today. I uh, would encourage you to take time maybe to go back and look at those scriptures that we talked about. Uh, there are also several scriptures used in this talk that I didn't reference, but hopefully you picked up on that. Um, also, again, you can reach us and reach me at realmormon at gmail.com. You can also find uh, our presence on Facebook at LDS Leadership Principles. And so I hope to hear from you if you've got any uh, anything that you want to add to what's going on. And again, uh, thank you for joining with us, and may the Lord warm your shoulders. Healed